Welcome, everybody, to the TKW Podcast. I'm Anthony Corbo, and joining me as I do every week, I've got Kyle Maggio. What's going on, folks? And Brian Giberman. What's up, everyone? And tonight, we are just coming on to record at the end of another Knicks loss to the 76ers, 131-109. to uh, Knicks fall to 9-24 and on the season. Uh, Brian, why don't you start with your biggest takeaways from the game tonight? It's kind of terrifying how important a 20-year-old center who didn't play college basketball is to the Knicks roster this season. Yeah, he, he brings an entirely different dynamic out there. Like, even even when he's not blocking shots, just like the threat of having him in there is just different. His name's Mitchell Robinson, by the way. I didn't say that at the beginning. I should have. It was it was more dramatic that way, but um, no, no, I I agree. I it's it's been painfully obvious. Uh, obvious. I know the D rating is way 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 worse since uh, Mitchell's been out, but um, you know when when he can stay in the games, he's he makes an impact whether he's blocking shots or not. He's always adjusting and altering wow. other ones, and you know Cantor doesn't have that effect to say the least. If he, even if he's just playing 16 to 18 minutes, you're getting 16 to 18 minutes that are basically equivalent of playing the best defense in the NBA whenever he's on the court. And when that's gone, the defense being bad for 48 minutes is very apparent. So in Mitchell Robinson's place tonight, the Knicks turn to 29 minutes of Ennis Cantor and 10 minutes of Luke Cornett out there. Um Cantor obviously poses – it makes it easier for the de- for the opponent's defense to read the offense because obviously they're not going to come out and guard him on the three-point line. Um, he just seems to take away a lot of options from the Knicks and obviously can't play any defense. But he is also the only option they have out there to get any kind of rebound for them. How do you think the Knicks re- uh, yeah, reconcile Cantor's defensive woes with – you know, him being able to put up consistent points on putbacks and, you know, just around the rim plays and him being able to, you know, get rebounds for them and cause second chance plays. Like, do you think the Knicks are taking a lot of value in that right now? Or do you think that they're just sorely missing Mitchell Robinson out there? I think they just miss, uh, miss Mitchell out there, to be honest. I don't think they, they know that this roster is pretty limited. So I think anybody that does have some sort of a significant skill they're going to value like Cantor's basically his uh, rebounding prowess and his inside scoring but you know we, we saw that they value Mitch's defense a lot and he plays a lot of minutes generally when he's not fouling all the time you know he started over Cantor briefly to begin the year which shows they valued his defense then so I, I don't I don't know I think it's really they just miss Mitch Cantor can only do what he can do uh, Cornette although he's a better defender um, he's not, uh, you know, he's not, he's still not going to stop, um, you know, make enough plays, but yeah. 
I I can't watch Cantor play basketball anymore. I really can't. It's just driving me nuts. Like the game starts and he had to be single handedly responsible for half to two thirds of the points that the Sixers scored while he was on the court. The dribble handoffs, the pick and rolls. They were getting too deep a position on him. I mean, it was just atrocious from start to the end of the quarter. And he's a big parallel in why the Knicks' first quarter defense is so terrible. And I know, I know. He even looked kind of like even his body language is looking dejected out there these days. Do you think? I mean, and you look at this box score tonight. You know. He only had ten points and and uh, you know six assist, or fifteen points and six assists in the or six rebounds in the end. He just doesn't look necessarily as engaged as he did in the you know early on in the game. He is looking like he's kind of you know he just he just doesn't look to have a role out there right now. And I, I think he's starting to feel that. I think the team's starting to feel that. And you know other other than you know the things he can do around the rim, he just doesn't possess a lot of value for this team at all from uh from a st- statistical perspective i'm using basketball reference here because it's easier with the on off numbers to have everything right in front of you the defensive rebounding is only like 1.3 percent better when he's on the court so i mean that's better but it's really not that big of a difference the offense actually gets 1.9 points per 100 possessions worse so the two areas he's supposed to be impacting the most, they're really not even, from, from a stats perspective, they aren't even showing him to be worth anything in those areas that are supposedly his strengths. And I think that's telling. I think that's just, you know, and that kind of proves that he's not going to be the Knicks' long-term plans moving forward. It's hard to tell where Cantor's going to land after the Knicks now, but it's it's pretty obvious he's not going to have a role with this team moving forward. Um, do you guys perceive him to be a trade or a buyout candidate on this year's market? Who who would be a trade or buyout candidate? Cantor. Cantor. Can't, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Do you think there's any? Do you think there's any kind of demand for him at all? I mean. He does put up stats, you know, regardless of what his on-off numbers are looking like. He puts up the raw stats, and do you think that that alone is is going to be enough for him to, you know, be valuable to in another team's eyes? I think that he absolutely would. I think he'd get picked up immediately. Um, we've seen guys like kind of like him get picked up quickly before, like um, Greg Monroe. He's been on the buyout market, and I mean, guys, guys like him are always valuable in a bench role, basically, kind of like what he was in OKC. You know, just... Is Cantor the second coming of Greg Monroe? Greg Monroe had, I think, some more effective player. I think he peaked higher, or am I being unfair? I don't know if you're being unfair. I just I, I see a lot of similarities in where the two of them fit on the court. I thought like you could run some offense through Monroe at the elbow and he's a little bit better of a passer. His offensive game at one point in his career was a little bit more diverse, but maybe maybe I'm wrong about that. So let's talk about uh, – well, I guess we have two players we can talk about here because they both played the most amount of minutes for the Knicks tonight. Uh, Kevin Knox and Noah Vonley both played 36 minutes. Uh, both had some pretty, pretty telling results on the court tonight. Um, why don't we start with Kevin Knox? 
Um, he scored 21 points. He had six rebounds. Um, he was a minus 15, but he still was eight for 17 tonight. Shot 50% on his three-pointers. Kevin Knox looks pretty uh, confident. He looks pretty you know, willing to take his shots. He's looking pretty good out there the last couple of games. Uh, Kyle, what do you think has been the biggest switch in, in Knox moving forward the last, you know, maybe five games, let's say? He's just been aggressive. You know, he the beginning of the year when he came back from the injury, even a little bit before it, um, he just kind of looked unsure of himself at times. Um, he, you know, he wouldn't really, like, step into a jump shot as much. You know, he wouldn't really, like, do it with as much emphasis. He'd just kind of shoot shots. He looked kind of flat. But now it looks like he's just confident, and I hate to be like the cliche, like, well, he just looks like he believes in himself now, but he does. Like, he, he's moving a little bit quicker. He's jumping a little bit higher off of his jump shots. Uh, everything just seems a little bit more fluid. Like, he's not second-guessing. He knows when he's basically going to shoot or when he's not. So that's what I think is just like he's making his mind up, you know, easy, more easily, more confidently. That's really what I'm seeing. We know he's attacked the rack a little bit better. Um, he's... He's got to the line a little bit more, or he's at least finishing better instead of trying to double pump everything. But um, I, I don't know. I just think a lot of it's just confidence now. The the next step for him is now to put together a complete 48 minutes instead of just a really high-level first quarter and first exactly. half. Because if, if when you look at it, most of his damage tonight all came in the first half. He had 14 points on 6 of 10 shooting, 2 of 3 from deep. Uh, so that means in the second half he had still had seven points, but on like ugh, math, I don't want to do it. I have to separate things. Or fourteen. So what? Yeah, he had seven seven points on two of seven shooting and one of three from deep. So not the second half was better than it's been in the past. I would say he he did all right, but when you really when he takes. When he starts putting those full games together, that's when you're going to really get those blow-up lines. That will be even better than the solid line he had tonight. Yep, I, I think that they're, they're sure to come. If anything, this is a major improvement over what we saw in the beginning of the season. I mean, even before the injury, it just looks like he's a different, more confident, well, more well-rounded player these days. Um, I, just like, I just like to see him going for a shot. I like seeing him with the 14 first half points. Even at, you know, even like you're saying, he slowed down the second half for sure. But um, you know, as soon as he learns how to carry that over for a full game, as soon as he learns how to you know really be able to create for himself and not just kind of take the game's flow into perspective, you know, he I, I think Kevin Knox has all the perspectives to be a very deadly scorer out there on the floor. And uh, in these last couple of games, he's been showing it pretty effectively. Him playing consistently like this, another person, it will help Hardaway. Because if he has someone who can kind of help him with the with the scoring load a little bit, that could put yep. him to be more efficient, hopefully, kind of like he was tonight. And hopefully that comes on before KP comes back into the fold, because it would be nice to see you know, two very effective scorers out there who are playing well with each other. And then you add Kev, uh, Chris up gets into the mix. And then, you know, you're, you're, you know, and then potentially whoever you're going to add the summer as well. I mean, that's going to be an offense that's going to be able to roll. It's obviously a lot of defensive problems that 
gave the Knicks uh, fits tonight as well. But, um, but why don't we switch gears a little bit? Let's talk about who is largely one of the Knicks' most effective defenders this season, Noah Vonley. Played 36 minutes tonight. He finished with six points. He had 10 rebounds and five assists. And another one of his very unorthodox box scores games. Um, Vonley looked to have a quiet impact on the floor, but maybe he did a little bit more than I recognized. Um, Brian, what, what, what was Noah Vonley giving you tonight? The thing that stuck out the most was that he started the game guarding Ben Simmons. Then he spent time guarding Joel Embiid. And there's not many players in the league that you would even ask to take on those two wildly different assignments in the same game, in the same, in the same game like that. And that he has versatility to do stuff like that. It's just going to be once you get other good defenders around him is a real weapon that you can use in a variety of different ways. Yeah, I, I, I think that Vonley, I think that Simmons made him look a little silly on a few plays tonight. I think that Simmons is able to get from, you know, to drive in on Vonley a little bit more than other players have this, you know, so far this year. I think that Ben Simmons poses an interesting passing opposition against Vonley, too, where. It just seemed to have him a little bit shook earlier in this game, but I feel like moving to Joel Embiid, who's going to operate more of in, you know, around the rim, a little bit more down low, a little bit more in an area that Noah Vonley is going to be used to, I think that ended up helping him a little bit more. Um, which is still kind of surprising, given that Ben Simmons you know, won't shoot a shot outside of the paint or anything like that. But you know, too much perimeter play is going to throw Noah Vonley for a little bit of a loop. But overall, I thought he held himself down pretty well. Um, and just even even if he struggled a little bit tonight, him being able to defend you know players like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid in the same game could possess a lot of value for the Knicks moving forward. Yeah, and the Sixers is just not a good matchup in general for the Knicks, at least at where the Sixers' skill positions are at. Because I mean, Embiid against Cantor is just the worst. Like that's just the worst thing that we could have asked. For you know, like that's just the worst matchup, really. And then um, Simmons is just—I mean, he's a bad matchup for a lot of people in the NBA. Period. But you know, we don't really have anybody who could handle it. And uh, Von Lee tried, and you know, kind of got tossed around a little bit tonight, which is surprising for a big body like him. But it happens. And um, Jimmy Butler is just a terror on the wing, and we know Timmy isn't going to stop him. And uh, Dotson and you know, Knox, you know, might line up with him and try to guard him. But, I mean, it's not – they're not there yet. Dotson's an effective defender, but he's going to struggle still. It's Jimmy Butler. So, I mean, the Sixers in general are just not – they're just many steps ahead of where we are right now. And it's just not not a good matchup. Yeah, they started the game with Timmy on Redick, Moutier on Butler – and Von Ley on Simmons. It was – It was. I actually didn't mind it. I thought that was – uh. A decent if you to mix it up and try something else. I thought that was Moutier has a little bit more bulk on him than Hardaway, even though Hardaway's taller. So I, I I didn't think that was a bad decision by Fizdell to experiment like that. The stretch of the game where they the reason the Knicks got back into it at a halftime, they cut it to three. 
Philly got out of their offense and for whatever reason were trying to attack Cantor one up with like on ISOs and just go right at him. And that's where he actually can hold up. Okay. And then Brown took a timeout at about the seven thirty mark. And the first play they ran out of the timeout was a Jimmy Butler and MB pick and roll right at Hardaway and Cantor. They, uh, Butler drew a foul. Then the Sixers just started going and getting in transition and got back to the dribble handoffs and the pick and rolls. And they just ran away from the game mm-hmm. with the game from there. The, the only real positive was we know Timmy uh, was dealing with the plantar fasciitis. Is that how you enunciate it? I believe you said that correctly. Fasciitis, fasciitis. I've heard it a couple of different ways. So. I was in the ballpark at least. Okay, thank God. Um, but yeah, I mean, we knew Timmy was struggling before his uh, heel injury. And, you know, he was dealing with that tonight and he played pretty well offensively. Um, 27 points with three rebounds, five assists, two steals. He's 7 of 16 shooting from the field, but seven of those were threes where he was three, uh, where he had three of seven. And he got to the line 10 times tonight, and he was perfect there, 10 for 10. So, I, I mean, offensively, I love what I saw. You know, injury or not, uh, just kind of getting off the, the schneid there, kind of breaking that slump was nice to see. Um, he was more efficient for most of the game. I think he missed a couple at the end, but... Uh, it was a really nice game, you know, first game back for him, and uh, nice to see him kind of get off that slump. Yeah, I didn't hate, I didn't hate what I saw from Tim Hardaway at all. Um, like you said, the 10 free throws was really nice tonight. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought that his, you know, his mid-range game looked pretty good tonight. Um, it was nice to see him getting going a little bit with a couple of assists. Uh yeah, just a welcome game back. It, it it felt like it opened up the rest of the Knicks a little bit more to score a little bit more freely and you know just kind of play off the ball a little bit or not not necessarily worry about scoring. Let Tim Hardaway Jr. handle most of that. I mean, he's been giving the Knicks pretty much all that they can ask for so far this season. I think he's been largely the player that we can expect him to be moving forward. Um I, I don't know. This little stretch that we've had here without him and now this game coming back with him putting up numbers like this, it's kind of making me realize the value that he really does have to this team. From before the Suns game, uh, Stefan Bondi, who covers the Knicks for the Daily News, tweeted this out. Tonight will be the first game of the season without Tim Hardaway. It was actually the second. He missed the Bulls, I think, that double overtime game in Chicago. Correct. It will be interesting, to, and uh, back to the tweet, it will be interesting to see how the Knicks play. Could open up ball movement. Now, I want to read some of the tweets that came in response, and these were, like, directly after. No kidding, LOL. We might play team ball. Less sulking, too. <laughs> Holy shit, who's going to replace all those bricks? <laughs> we got more. You mean TH, THJ won't be chucking up shots with 20 seconds left on the clock? Tim needs to be traded. He is inconsistent and shoots at a high volume instead of efficiency. Uh, it's unfortunate Dotson or Trier are not available, but I think tonight will prove THJ has to be traded. What do you think Tim Hardaway really means to these people? Like, what do you? Why do you think these people hold THJ in such poor standard? People don't know how to correctly 
um, analyze basketball and the context of what's happening within the game. They don't realize how hard it is to be a number one option on an NBA team. And because Hardaway isn't good enough to be winning as the best player on a team, they think that means he's not good when it's really a player who's playing in a role he's not meant to be in. And some of those things that they think are going wrong wouldn't be going as poorly if he was playing as the third, fourth, or fifth option on a good team. Yeah, and the my issues with him come from sort of how we are getting conditioned to talk about and analyze basketball now, whereas if uh, you are not efficient, you are simply bad. You know, there's no, ah, well, he's okay. Oh, he's a good player, could be better. It's just you got to be efficient or you're a bad offensive player. And then it's the same, you know, the other side of it. Even if you are efficient offensively, if you don't play good defense, you're bad. There's, you know, two sides of the court, whatever. And and I get, like, he could be better at things. I get that. But there is also a skill in being a number one option or trying to be a number one option. There is a skill in being able to shoot a high volume every night. You know, that that does matter. You know, and being uh, the the creator, the number one on the team, that does matter. It, to me, that is a skill. And he, again, wasn't meant for it. But, you know, he's he's trying. He's, you know, the most talented one on the team, arguably, right now. It's like someone's got to fill that role, and he's being asked to do it. I think it's tremendously hard to be the leading scorer and the leading offensive force on a team, especially when you have a team full of young players like, you know, like when it comes to Knox and and Vonley and, you know, Moutier and Neil Kina and all these guys who are trying to figure out how to – you know, put offensive games together, even if they possess defensive talent in one way or another. Uh, it's got to be incredibly difficult to be the thread that holds everything together on offense. And you could see that with Hardaway, too, when he struggles. There, you know, the moments when, you know, he goes cold, as any shooter or any scorer will. Um, and the whole offense begins to crumble around him. Just, you know, he's obviously going to look best when he becomes a... You know, more secondary or even tertiary player out there, but you know, for right now, the the load that he is holding for this next team right now cannot be overstated. I mean, he is what keeps them the, this team in, in the game for many nights of the season. Let's turn gears a little bit now because we've, we've talked about a couple of guys now tonight. Um, so we, we covered we cover most of the starters now at this point. Let's look at the last one in that mix, Emmanuel Moutier. Uh, coming off a really hot game the last couple of, uh, the last couple of games, really, um, to end up tonight shooting 3 for 12, scoring 11 points, having 5 assists, 3 rebounds. Uh, Moutier just, you know, I would like to say that he looked not like himself out there tonight, but, you know, he didn't look like he was doing a ton differently. It just didn't look like his shot was necessarily falling. His jumpers always look kind of ugly. You know, it didn't work out in his favor so far tonight. Did you guys notice anything markedly different in Emmanuel Moutier tonight and how he handled himself on the court? He just looked gassed. He just looked exhausted to me. Um, you know, he had several short jump shots, 
like that were well short that hit like the bottom of the front rim or like grazed the rim. So, so that was the, you know, the most noticeable thing. But then when he started going to the rim, we've seen him make some really strong drives these last couple of weeks. Um, that's one thing that he's been kind of good at. He's kind of bullying his way inside now. And he got to the rim a few times that same fashion. And he just didn't have that explosiveness at the end of his last step. Uh, he finished short on one drive specifically to the right side. He spun around and he, it was a bunny, you know, he did that little slow gather step to go up and, uh, it just hit like the side of the rim and the backboard, you know, it's, he just looked really flat to me tonight. And given his little outburst here, the last couple of games, I, I wouldn't get it, but that's the, really the only thing I noticed it looked like he got more or less the same looks and they just weren't falling. This is what, uh, Fisdale had to say it was either at practice on Tuesday or early on or early Wednesday at shoot around or something like that. But I thought this was a really good quote from Fisdale. I think it's enough now. And this is about Moutier, by the way. I think it's enough now. We know this kid is an NBA rotation player. How far it goes from there is going to be what he does. You get to a third of the season and consistently put it in 20, 30 points, six rebounds, six assists. First thing he had to prove to himself and to everyone, is if he's a legitimate NBA player. That's proven now. The next step is, can we get him to grow and develop and show the consistency of what a lead guard would do? He's taken off and really gotten better every day. And I think that's one of the smarter quotes we've heard from Fisdale. Because, yeah, what he what he is right now, he's shown he can play in the NBA. Now, he has those games every once in a while. He's had, he's had a few of them recently. But the Memphis game, the... Milwaukee game, the Suns game, like those are two games that he basically single-handedly won and then another where he was the only functioning player for them. And if he can do stuff like that regularly, then you're talking about a different player. Now, the scat the part where the other side of that equation is you have you the games like tonight still exist. That stuff he's accomplishing, he's doing it partially on the back on an unsustainable mid-range shooting. So it's too quickly to anoint him a starting level guard. And Fisdale's right to not overreact to what we've seen the past two, three weeks and kind of see how it plays out. And some Knicks fans, I think, are jumping to a conclusion a little bit too quickly. But it's yeah, but I mean, it's fine. Like, be happy how he's played. Root for the kid to do well. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think you do have to acknowledge the other side of what's happening here. Yeah, I mean, the thing the thing that's sort of impressive to me, at least, is him getting to the line more now. But, you know, as far as uh, people getting ahead of themselves real quick, um, I had a cop. We were talking today from the Knicks wall account and people are really I mean, he's the new hot thing, but. People are you doing that thing where we get sold on somebody immediately now? Like it it's always like they ask why did I why was I um you know not buying that he's this good now and he's a twenty two year old prospect still and he's still developing, which I think is true and fair. I do think that he has shown improvements, whether or not he uh regresses as far, I don't know, but um but then to me it's like he, we still have a lot of evidence to the contrary, like we have what three years of evidence that it just wasn't working out for him. Like now it's starting to, and it's encouraging. And we all kind of wrote him off, you know, in the summertime and we've been very wrong about that, but he's 
still has to play an entire month of January and then an entire month of February and then March and then April. Like, there's a lot of fucking time left. He could play really, really so, shitty for a really long period of time, too. Like, we gotta... If it's this way, like, end of January, then I'll per- I'll probably start really buying into it. But there's a lot of time left. The majority so of the I, season. Let's just make a... Based on what you've seen so far this season, I mean, like Fizzell is talking about, Moutier supposedly has made the case that he is an NBA rotation guard at this point. Let's fast forward the clock to, say, late March. The Knicks are winding down their schedule now. They're getting to the end of the year. You know, the playoffs are out of sight, but, you know, they, they're, they're at the point where they're evaluating which players are going to stay with this team in the long term, or at least after this year. Where, in your mind, where do you think this team will view Emmanuel Moutier then? There's a lot of time to cover in between then. There's a lot that can change. But based on what you've seen this season... Where do you think the team will value Moutier then? And do you think that in a couple of months from now, we'll still be having this conversation of Emmanuel Moutier as a rotation player? I think he'll be a rotation player, but the other stuff I can't really... It's hard to answer without seeing how he plays. I just I have to see what he's going to be over the next couple months before coming to a determination on whether they should use cap space to sign him or not. Now, that's a different from where I was three weeks ago when I said 100% there's no chance he's coming back. I still, I'm still leaning. I still lean that way. But I think that he's at least opened the door to the possibility that something could happen. Um, but I haven't fully bought in to it yet. And I just think, I think you just got to see, you let him play and you see, you see what happens. Like the last four games, he's gotten to the foul line eight, seven, ten, six times. Is he going to be able to continue to do stuff like that? Or is this just a, a fluky stretch where he's getting to the foul line more? I don't know. I'd like to believe it because it doesn't look like he's doing that bullshit fade away on his layups. Now, when he goes to the rim, it just looks like he's actually going straight up and looking for the contact. You know, before he would do that little adjustment and kind of fade off at the end, and then he'd fall over. It doesn't look like he's really doing that now. So I don't know. He's still leaning into his jump shots, which will forever frustrate yeah. me. But yeah. yeah, he's yeah he's got a very weird jumper in general. I don't know that it's um sustainable at this level. I just think that he has improved it to some degree. So I I just wonder. It's the sustainability that I really wonder about. He does look like a player that has been able to find some kind of steady ground. I, I don't I don't disagree with what Fizzella said about him being a rotation player. It's all about what he can prove himself, if he can prove himself to be a lead guard moving forward from here. Um, he is obviously in a contract year. What that will do for him and how he plays moving forward is going to be very, uh, you know, it's going to be very telling, but... Yeah, Moutier, you know, put up a couple of bricks tonight. Obviously, didn't shoot well from the three-point line. I don't really see him ever turning into any kind of uh, efficient three-point shooter, to say the least. But, you know, whether or not, where he really fits into a rotation, what he can prove to do on a, an NBA court in the long term has yet to be determined. Um, let's turn our attention a little bit more to some of the bench players here. So we 
had the return tonight of obviously Tim Hardaway Jr., but we also had the return of Damian Dotson, who played the most minutes off the bench tonight. He played 22 minutes and finished with 14 points, went 6 for 11, shot 2 for 6 on threes. Uh, you know, he had a rebound in there as well, not much else. Um, but I think most notably with Dotson tonight is that he played over Trey Burke. Trey Burke got a DMP tonight. And, you know, we had talked about for a couple of weeks now that not all of these guards are going to be able to play out there together. There's just simply not the minutes to go around for everybody, even if you play some guys at three. Um, so, Dotson, so Dotson over Trey Burke. Um, I think this is a decision that we can all agree upon on this podcast. Brian, do you agree? Yeah, it was Dotson. And let's be, it was Dotson and Lee ahead of Trey Burke. He could have played yes, for yes. either of those. Correct. I think outside of no accountability for Cantor's defense, for everything else and what he did in the rotation tonight for the most part is perfectly fine. And how it should be going forward. When when Schreier comes back, you basically just have to take away, if you give him Lee's minutes, which I don't know how, what they're, take, so you, if, what I would do, I would cut down Cantor's minutes, go to more Vonley and Mitchell Robinson at the five when he gets back too. And that is your vehicle to get more wings on the court. Are they willing to do that? I have no idea, but that's how I would handle it. Yeah, I'd like to see them go a little bit more wings. I'd like to see them go a little smaller. Um, I, I think Von, you know, Vonley can make for an awesome small ball five, given the right wings around him. And you know, given the way Kevin Knox is playing, I think that that's a perfectly reasonable thing to try to try it out. I don't know the defense is going to hold up, but, um, you know, Dotson, I mean, how many games did Dotson miss? Was it two? I think that's right. Two or, two or three, yeah. I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but right around that range. Yeah, but, I mean, he he looked, you know, okay tonight. Um, off, like Offensively, looked like he was uh, in the flow of things. I mean, he was hitting the shots. But defensively, I, I didn't really love what I saw. He got beat back door by Jimmy a couple of times, and um, you know he was just he was just overplaying a lot. Um, but outside of that, a couple of late rotations too, which for for him it's noticeable because I thought he's been playing tremendous defense most of the season. So um, you know I, it was his first game back, not too hard on him, but at least the shot was still falling. It was he missed two games. The, the one, he got beat that time back door on Jimmy Butler, obviously, and then he fouled, I think it was Redick on a three-point to ten when he didn't do a good job tracking him around the screen. Those those were two defensive plays that stuck out for him. And he looked weird wearing the long sleeve shirt. Yeah, I, I hate when guys switch it up. He's, I think it's because his shoulders bothering him is my guess. That might be some sort of... Something to keep him more like heat on it. Would, uh, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Why? Why am I pretending to be? Could <laughs> be no justification for wearing sleeves on the court. I hate wearing sleeves when I shoot. That shit's uncomfortable. Me too, dude. I, I, I've always wondered about that. You know, I, I did for a very, very long time, and then uh, as as I've gotten old, you know, at uh, this age of 27, my circulation decided to not work as well for God knows what reason at this age. So now I almost exclusively play in long sleeves because I just, I need, I need the warmth. I am a fan of guys wearing uh, basically pants out there on the court now too. 
like wearing the full leggings. Yeah, um, I do that also. Yeah, I, I, I think. Oh, I you're the douchebag who plays basketball completely decked out and stuff. I don't play basketball not, at all. Not, so that's not, <laughs> that's not, basically not like not like decked out, you know. But yeah, I, I, yeah, those the the spandex uh, legging things, those those work. Those, those... Tell me you wear a headband too. Oh no, no, I would never wear a headband. <laughs> I, I, Brian, I have great hair. I need nothing, nothing in the way of uh, people seeing it. So I would never wear a headband. Let's turn our attention to. Um, let's turn to the defense really quick. So, do you guys know exactly? Because I haven't pulled this game up yet. But how many points the Knicks gave up in the first half tonight? I think it was sixty-nine, fifty-nine. I just want to try to double check. It was 69-61. Well, this is a trend that's been continuing because after giving up 69 points today in the the first half, they um, they gave up 66 against Phoenix in their last game. They gave up 56 a game before that, 72 before that. You know, they, they, they've... 65 before that. They've been all over the place with, you know, how many points they give up in the first half. Um, it's caused a lot of teams to be able to kind of, you know, either put the throttle on them in the second half and completely blow them away or, you know, at least be able to stay a, a foot ahead of the Knicks in the last couple of games. Um, there's been a lot of 130-point defeats, 120-point defeats in the last few games. Um, this defense just does not look sound out there, and there's a lot of reasons why, but what do you, or Kyle? What do you? What do you think is the biggest improvement the Knicks could make in their defense to kind of shore things up in the short term, at least? I do want to start by saying I don't think that the defense was as bad the last couple of games, given how shorthanded they were. I mean, they the one game they had, you know, what four guys out. The game Timmy went down in, um, you know, they they had Dotson, Timmy. Trier and and Mitchell all out uh, against the Suns, so I mean it's it's not that those guys are good defenders, but I mean that does affect the flow of the game. And um, I mean well, Dotson, they're missing two of their four best defenders for that game. Yeah, the four best defenders are Frank Mitchell Robinson, Dotson, and who am I missing? Who's the other one? Trier. No, no, no. The Frank. Mitchell Robinson, Vonleh, and Dotson are their four best defenders, and two of those guys were out against the Suns. I meant, I meant mostly in the sense of like young guys still struggle, but um, yeah, I mean, I think that not having those guys, and we talked earlier about how Mitch can affect games, whether he's blocking shots or not, given he's not fouling. I mean, that stinks. That that's going to affect your you know rotation big time. And Dotson was playing really well again. Uh, when he got his minutes back before he went down with the injury. So, and he's playing well on both sides of the ball and, and pretty big minutes. So, I mean, not having those guys that suddenly were big parts of your rotation again when you were playing a little bit better, I mean, that that's never going to be what you want. Um, as far as what they could do to improve, I mean, it's pretty much just play who we were just talking about a little bit more. I don't know if that means playing Frank in, in a wing spot more, but I, I just think you got to make sure him and Dotson are getting – uh, ample time at the two and three too, because I mean they need the defending out there. So I, I just think keeping those kinds of young, you know, defending wings in is, is going to be good. And I know Lee's is supposed to be good also, but at this point, I'd rather just go with the young guys, let them try to learn and develop out there. But 
Yeah, I think that's really it. Just keep playing those young guys out. I think that's the biggest thing. And when Mitch comes back, it's going to improve things greatly if he's not fouling. I was told there would be accountability for defense, and I want fucking accountability for defense. I'm just I'm tired of the same guys who play crap defense being run out all the time. Hardaway is the one exception I would give, and just play play the guys that play defense. That's it. That's simple. If you watch the film and the guys are doing a crap job on defense, start. So, speaking of guys playing well on defense, um, supposedly our best perimeter defender for a long time, and who has proven to be one of our best perimeter defenders for a long time now, is Frank Nielkina. Um He was absent on the offensive end tonight after putting together a pretty uh, you know, polarizing stretch over the last few games. He went for three points tonight, one for seven, uh, you know, two rebounds, two assists, nothing really more going on with this game. Um, I didn't really notice any too much on from him on the offensive end or on the defensive end. And on, in the last couple of games, I've kind of noticed his defense waning a little bit, even as his offense has started to come around a little bit. Um, what, what's going on with Frank Nielakina? He played 60 minutes tonight. He should obviously keep getting minutes right now. But he's still putting up a good amount of shots. Seven shots is impressive from him tonight. You know, he's pulling up on, on a lot of shots at least. Are you guys good with him still shooting, even if he doesn't make his shots, and you just basically want to see what comes from him from here? This is kind of why I didn't want to get ahead of ourselves. Like uh, a lot of people who drink the Kool-Aid, the culture Kool-Aid, when they're like, ah, you know, Fizdale the genius. He sat him for a couple of games. That got him right. You know, this he, he's going to fix Frank, like, and as much as like I'd want to believe that, and I want that to be the case, like Frank does this, he'll, he'll give you two or three good games. He'll like lure you in. You get enticed by what he should and could be, and then he just disappears. And it's difficult when he just starts missing all of his shots again. And um, I, I don't know what the solution is, but it's just he has these just weird peaks and valleys. So I, it's. I I still believe in Frank. It's going to take a lot for me to not believe in Frank, but it it does. It's it's really starting to concern me now. I mean, I know he hasn't had a clearly defined role this season, but it it is concerning. For all, I just want to make that a point because we uh, butter him up sometimes on this podcast and on Twitter, and I, I I love him dearly and believe in him, but it's 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 tough to watch sometimes. He he has to make shots. Period. It's it's very it's very very simple. He. I don't like the floor game he played tonight was perfectly fine. But as a part of that, at some point he has to make shots and that he's 20 years old. So I don't think you give up on what his skill set can be yet. But there's going to come a point where if he's 20, however old, and he's still not making shots, that's a problem that's going to be really hard. For him to get over, one thing I think that will be helpful for him, I talked about, I think it was in the Slack I brought this up already, is him more than anyone, Porzingis means something too. Because one thing Frank does on the court that gets overlooked is he just makes basic reads and throws passes on time. And when you're running pick and pop with KP, 
and he just makes that simple read. It's a wide open three pointer for a 30 plus 35 percent seven foot big man that can get hot and shoot, hit six out of 10 on nights. And he'll get Porzingis five to seven, 10 plus open looks a night if they just run that play over and over again. And where what Porzingis did last year, that will be useful if teams just start switching that. Even though it was dumb how Hornacek ran the offense as like KP on the block being the first like go-to action in the set, him getting that practice for when teams adjust and switch pick and rolls, and then he can go on the block and he can beat up on a smaller guy, that'll be really critical to that play being effective. Is you're, you're, look, you're running it to get a look for KP, not for Frank to attack, unless an obvious clear lane opens up but that's and it's just stuff like that and what made me think about that was him running uh, frank running pick and pop and cornet hitting a wide open three off it tonight and being able to do that with porzingis will help frank more than anyone on this roster yeah i i i think that the frank christophs relationship is way understated so far this season for all the reasons they were just talking about but you know just the pick and pop game and just you know, Frank making the easy reads, Kristaps being able to pick up on those and, re- and react to them. I mean, you know, we're in, you know, we, we've gone, like, basically two halves of this, of a season without Kristaps at this point, where it, it's not exactly top of mind how well Kristaps can read the court and how well he can make, a, or how good he can make a lot of the players around him. And I think the, the player that seems to have benefited most in his time playing with Chris Ops on the court has been Frank Dilakina. I, I just think that their relationship is pretty dynamic together, and they haven't had a lot of time to blossom together. But with Frank, you know, taking his bumps this season at the end of last season and, you know, showing a little bit more confidence now and, and you know, trying to move forward from that, and Chris Ops trying to come back from an injury, I just think those two are going to come together in such a perfect storm that they are going to be... A, a fearsome duo in due time together. I, I think it's just going to take a little bit of time, and I think there are plenty of pieces that the Knicks have in place around them right now to build around them, and I think that there's only going to be more to come as well. Who had that? Was it from a report a couple of days ago that um, Chris Stapps was frustrated because he wanted Frank to start last year? Bondi. It was from Bondi, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, that that's another thing, too, that I find encouraging is that we know KP's relationship with the Knicks so far, with the front office. Um, the higher-ups hasn't been uh, ideal. We know that they've worked to smooth it over a little bit, and we'll see. You know, only time will tell if that's uh, legitimate. But I would like to think if Frank holds, uh, if KP holds Frank in such a high regard like that, that last year when KP was 19 and, and the rookie, they that he wanted him to start, um, if, if that's true, I think then that bodes well for Frank's future and maybe his opportunities here. But um, I, I, it at least comforts me to some small degree that I feel like they won't just kind of give up on him as easily. You know, like I, you can kind of talk yourself into that. But uh, to me, that was a nice little thing to see. And I, and I do think that they're going to be an effective combination. Uh, I think Clarence Gaines made this point a couple of weeks ago, which is the same kind of point you're, you're talking about with um, the, the play design you'd want them 
to go with. But when KP comes back, he's going to need a, a guard who's a little bit more passive, who's going to defer a little bit more. And, you know, Frank is, is obviously the most passive guard. So I think there's ways like you had brought up to, to make him effective. And I do think that those are some of the things we saw him do well the last couple of games when he was playing well. But, um, I mean, defense is going to be the biggest thing that's enticing. But at the end of the day, um, Frank has to start making some shots if he wants to be a like a high-level impact starter, you know. And we don't want – like, Roberson types are outliers. You know, that's that's tough to – to replicate in every team, guys who play great defense and, and really honestly can't do anything on offense. But um, I, I just think he's got to – I don't think that's going to fly here is my point. I think you got to just – you got to do something consistently on offense. Frank's not as good of a defender as Roberson. For sure. That's why – I mean, you got to hit these shots then. And he's still young. Could he, could he develop into the Roberson defender? Like we would hope. You know, we hope based on what we've seen that that's something that could happen for him. But um, – you know, until you get there, you got to do something on offense. You might not make it there if you don't do something on offense. You, you got to bring something to the table. So now the Frank haters are going to hate us and the Frank fans are going to hate us. This is going to be fun. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, the, 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 there's, there's nobody as divisive as, as Frank Neal Aquino is. The debate around him every month, every week, every day, it's, it's always there's really no gray area either you're with them or you're not is what it's come down at to least, some people see it and some people don't at least we can all agree that frankie smokes is the definitive nickname here yes we can all agree but um i still can't believe that was a thing and i think there's probably listeners who uh feel some sort of way uh, about that but uh, nicknames are supposed Frankie's, to be fun. Nicknames supposed Frankie to be fun. Is objectively badass, and I don't want to hear it one or the this, other. They're, they're supposed to be fun, and I and I raged about this over the summer with the Kevin Knox nickname stuff. But um, nicknames work if you're given the nickname. Like that's that's the nickname. That's what happens. If it sticks, yeah. like that's it. It could be the first yeah. one, and then it sticks, and then that's it. You don't get to give yourself a nickname like Kobe Bryant calling himself black Mamba only worked because he was signed to Nike who dumped millions of dollars in his marketing campaign. So of course you can make it work, but that does that. If you have have a million dollar marketing nickname, then fine, do whatever you want. But otherwise you're getting the nickname you're given. It just, it it just is what it is. Like Frankie smokes came out. People started running with Frankie smokes. Then everyone's like, well, hold on. That that encourages a smoke of cigarettes. And it's like, well, well, no, I mean, only, only like idiots. I'm sorry. Only idiots. Like you'd have to sit there and go, "Well, now, I, how dare he try to push cigarettes on us?" It's like that's not that's not how this is. It's like you can you can smoke somebody. of big tobacco. You can smoke somebody on the basketball court. Like there's other ways to you know to to use the nickname. You know, it's just very it's very silly. But the I, and I, and also you know what along those lines, I'm fine with the nicotine connotations. I'm I'm fine with it. You wanna you wanna run with it? It's a realistic thing. Frank Nielakina, it his play when he is on fire, when he is hot, he is addicting like nicotine, and I don't want to hear anything else besides it. I'm not advocating. I'm not I'm not telling you all to go smoke. I'm not advocating for cigarettes here. I'm just saying Frank Nielakina, when he is on, is an addicting basketball player, and that that's basically where it where it starts and ends for me. You know. Anyway. Um, 
why don't we take a look at what the schedule is looking like for the next couple of games. Um, the Knicks are going to be playing the Atlanta Hawks on Friday. I believe that is the star- Oh, no, the uh, Hawks will be playing the Knicks um, at home. And then from there, we have the Bucks on Christmas Day at Madison Square Garden. And then we play the Bucks on the road. Then we come up against the Jazz, the Nuggets, the Lakers. And it only really gets worse from there. Um, guys, a, cu- a couple of uh, not exactly easy games on this stretch, although the Jazz aren't necessarily playing well. The Hawks are it might be a, a winnable game coming up on Friday. Hawks are, um, Hawks are playing better, though. Yeah, they got John Collins back, and John Collins is a fucking beast. Yeah, he's had a really good game last night. Really... So as we, as as we approach this kind of stretch of you know tough games coming up here, if it's not necessarily wins that we're going to be looking for from the Knicks, what are you guys trying to find out of this team's play? More Kevin Knox doing what Kevin Knox is doing. To be honest with you, um, we we want to see you know our, our other lottery pick. You know, Frank started to play well, too, but um, we took Kevin this year and we wanted him to be the thing that we saw in summer league. And um, not that he's been that kind of high flying guy right now, but he's been more. I mean, he tried. He he, he tried to throw uh, two vicious dunks down, one against the Suns and one tonight where he tried to just end. I, I forgot who the defenders were in both cases, but he tried to end both of them and he just missed both times. So, um yeah, he's get he's getting there is the point, and it's been five games in a row now. He was he was kind of thawing out to begin December, and then he's kind of got slowly better by, and, and better. And then this last five or six game stretch, he's been um, really good. I think over his last five, now he's averaging seventeen. I know his shooting percentages are up pretty high. I think he's uh, shooting like forty seven ish percent, and he's shooting pretty well from deep. I know he's above league average. So this is what we thought we were going to get. Maybe not this efficient, but like something like this, um, and especially the outside shooting's encouraging because he has really nice form. Um, and I know Matt for a while was saying that he firmly believed that um, Kevin Knox was going to develop into a very good three-point shooter. So I, I just want to see more Kevin Knox doing well. Like obviously, I'm rooting for all the other guys. I hope Trier plays again soon, and same for Mitch. They're both they're both going to get reevaluated again on Friday, but. Um, Pretty much for me, it's just Knox. Like we needed one of these lottery picks to hit big, to to be successful the next couple of years. Like re-signing KP is fine, trying to hit on a big free agent is fine, but realistically, you need more homegrown talent to to win big and and be successful. So, if Kevin Knox is the guy we hit on big, and you get a Trier and a, a Mitchell as a a bonus, then that's tremendous. But just going forward, I want to see more. Uh, more Knox rolling. Just make it make it a consistent thing. This stretch of bass, I honestly, I think Knox has played better during this stretch than he did during Summer League. Summer League was just a lot of, like, sloppy scoring. This is, he's playing. With the bass. purpose, he's doing things right now. Yeah, yeah, he's playing within structure and doing it well and finding ways to be effective. Like, I'll put it this way with Knox. Going into the draft. I didn't. I didn't mind the pick. I was perfectly fine with it. Like when it happened, it wasn't something I complained about. But I would have taken one of the bridges. And with the way he's played so far this season, I would take that back. I would flip it around 
I, th- I believe in his long-term upside now more than I do either of the Bridges who are a little bit older. He's shown enough for me that whatever the amount of games that they played this year that I've, I've, I've turned, I've moved along in that. And I would rather have Knox than either of the bridges. Yeah. I, I, I see a much higher ceiling for Kevin Knox than either of the bridges. Although I have been, I have really liked what I've seen from miles bridges out of uh, Charlotte at this point. Um, haven't seen too much from Mikhail bridges, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I would say based on potential, based on the flashes that we've seen, and obviously we are very up close as Knicks fans here, but um, I, I'm overwhelmingly joyed with the, the pick we had, did end up making this year in the draft. Well, I, I tweeted this out yesterday, I think. Let me just filibuster here until I find it. But um, I tweeted this out yesterday about where Kevin Knox ranks of the last uh, four games. No, over, over his last ten games. And... Uh, let me see. I didn't tweet a lot the last couple of days, and I think I retweeted that. I might be able to get to it quickly. No, no, I got it. I got it here. Okay. So he, over the last 10 games, he ranks third behind uh, Luka Doncic and Colin Sexton in points per game. Just, again, not the end-all, be-all, but he's, uh, you know, they're at 16.4 points per game each, respectively, and he's at 15.8, and he's, uh, you know, behind him is Trey Young and DeAndre Ayton to round up the top five. And then for rebounds, He's third again, and um, you know he's behind uh, Aiton and Doncic there, but he's you know six point two the last ten games, so fifth you know sixteen points just about and and six rebounds over your last ten is is very good production for a rookie period like that if he, he finished averaging like fifteen sixty and uh, and five or six rebounds. I think that would be a tremendous rookie year just off two simple counting stats. But I forgot um, his shooting percentages have also been better the last 10 games. I think he's been shooting better than Doncic and uh, Sexton Young. So, I mean, that's the other thing that's encouraging, too, because we were worried about some of the inefficiencies to begin the season. So, just he's really rolling out, and tonight's obviously going to add to what it was that I was just describing because I think it jumped his point per game total up to 17. So he's really just rolling now, and it's a, a lot of fun to watch. And um, I just, you know, we we got something special in KP, and we didn't expect it because we don't expect those things as Knicks fans, and I'm hoping we kind of got lucky again. This rookie class is so stupid. It really is. This is a, this is a really, really good rookie class and i feel like we say that every couple of years we think like there's a really good one but i i'm trying to remember the last one where i felt this confident about this many prospects no and people are like crapping on aiden he's averaging like 16 and 11 and the suns beat the celtics tonight and have won four in a row and they're starting to play really good basketball yeah now bookers help my michael bridges advanced numbers are probably the best out of any player in this class, like his real plus minus or whatever, I, I'm pretty sure it's the highest. Like he's like a legitimately, and his on-off numbers were nutty good too. And oh, wow. he's like the Landry, the dude on the 76ers, Shamit from tonight was a he's second. A, he's a player. baller, man. And he's playing well. It's that like guy, that guy's a. What did he have? 17 tonight. Just fight God, he's a fucking he was baller. Not down tonight, yeah. Jaron Jackson had a game where he dropped like 36. Uh, Big bad. Jared, he's playing well. Like every everyone in this class, every, everybody's playing well. Uh, um, did you mention the Clippers rookie? Um, oh, shy. 
I don't want to butcher his last name. Gilgis Alexander. Thank yeah. you. He's, he's been, been he's yeah. been like everybody. Everybody's been good. It's it's incredible. Everybody, even even Trey Young's shooting percentages are down, and he's still doing enough just scoring wise and uh, passing wise right now to make an impact. It's just really fun. Wild to me that Trey Young has been the inefficient shooter of this rookie class so far. There was some signs in college when against better competition that this could happen, but. The spacing he creates and his passing, really, the thing that maybe he didn't get enough credit for was, and I watched him more in college than I did than I have so far in the NBA this year, but he has really, really awesome vision. I, I know Matt was really high on that, and that's why he wouldn't have minded uh, had we drafted him. He's just like, look, we still have point guard problems, and uh, maybe even if he isn't the most efficient shooter at the NBA level, like just his vision would be tremendous with Porzingis and the ability to step out from deep. And I was like, oh, well, you just sold me on him, my friend. But, I'd uh, be fine if they would have taken Trey Young if he was there. I wouldn't have had an issue in that in the slightest. I mean, on the year, he's averaging 15 and a half and seven assists. I mean, that's, again, that's counting stats on inefficient 38% shooting from the field, 25 from deep, but... You know, I mean, he's still, you got to take into account that's the first quarter of his rookie season. So, see where he goes from here. And what John Collins is doing, I'm guessing we're going to see this on Friday. A lot of that is working. We missed missed him the first game of the season. Both of them, I thought. No, Trey played. No, 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 no. I thought you were talking about Collins. Trey played in both, I believe. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I say that, yeah, Collins. Collins we missed. If they play Collins at center when Cantor's in, that is going to be hilarious. I kind of want to watch that for my own entertainment value. I, I mean, I, I thought he's playing better this year, but I didn't even realize his numbers. So he's averaging 18.5 a night uh, points per game, 9.5 rebounds, a couple assists, and uh, he's shooting 58% from the field. Is he taking any threes? Yep, but twenty four percent. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that team now with him playing, and then Prince is out. But uh, they, their other rookie, another Huter uh, Hoiter, hey, I saw his numbers earlier. Did we lose Anthony? No, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. That was, I lost you guys for a second. Okay. There, 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 there was a strange noise. I wasn't sure who we lost. Yeah, no, I heard it. <laughs> All right. Um, Kyle, why don't, why don't you drop some plugs in here, and we'll get out of here for tonight before any strange noises come back around. All right. So, uh, as always, just with this podcast, make sure you're subscribed if you haven't already. Make sure you uh, leave us a review and uh, rate this five stars because that helps us keep doing this. Um, and again, we keep seeing them go up, um, and you guys are actually listening, so we appreciate that. It means a lot to us. Make sure you're following us on uh, Twitter, at the Knicks Wall. Same thing on Instagram, same thing on Facebook. Make sure you're following or like us on those. Um, subscribe to our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash the Knicks Wall, for our um, 2K pregame shows that we're going to try to keep doing. And uh, for all of you that uh, bought merchandise for the holidays and, um, you know, just before then, just thank you for the support. Um, We had a lot of shirts go out and merchandise go out and just want to thank everybody for buying those. And as always, if you want to see something, as some of you sometimes.
times you guys do. If you guys have design ideas or likes to see something printed, uh, just always tweet us. We're always looking forward to interacting with you guys and hearing those ideas. So let us know. Um, but outside of that, that's pretty much it. Talk to you guys on Sunday. What do you guys got? I mean, that's pretty much about it. I think you pretty much ran the uh, ran the gamut there. So, uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll be recording for Sunday. Give you all a little uh, little something to listen to on Christmas Eve, and then we'll be back on Wednesday night after that. So, um, till then, guys, Kyle, Brian, you guys have a good rest of the week, and we'll catch up again on Sunday.